From CPRI and the CPRI Knowledge Hub, this is Research Minutes, a weekly look at new and important research in education. Today we look at federal child care subsidies and their potential impact on a student's academic performance and behavior in middle school. We found that if the kids are exposed early on to center-based child care programs, there are positive effects both in reading and math test scores and effects that are sustained through time, so they, they last up until the eighth grade. We welcome Vladimir Zanoni, consultant with the Inter-American Development Bank and co-author of a new study examining the influence of those subsidies utilized by hundreds of thousands of low-income families across the U.S. Zanoni joins CPRI Knowledge Hub Managing Editor Keith Hugh Miller to discuss his findings and some important implications for early childhood policy and future research. I think that we have underestimated the power of licensed home care, so home care provided for families. If they're well-structured and uh, supervised and they have some kind of standards, it's possible that we can exploit the the potential of this uh, type of arrangement to foster child development among low-income working families. That's right now on Research Minutes. Hello and welcome to Research Minutes. I'm Keith Hummeler, Managing Editor of the CPRI Knowledge Hub. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Vladimir Zanoni, former researcher with the University of Chicago and currently a consultant with IDB. So thanks so much for joining us, Vladimir. Thank you so much, Keith, for this invitation. So today we're discussing your new article, which you co-authored with Georgetown University's Anna Johnson, titled Child Care Subsidy Use and Children's Outcomes in Middle School. Uh, was recently published in AERA Open, and it examines the academic impacts of the Child Care Development Fund, or CCDF, which is a federal program that provides child care subsidies for low-income families across the U.S. To start, could you give us some background on the CCDF? How does it operate, and how many children does it serve? Yeah, sure. Um, so I would like to say that what I'm going to express are my own opinions about the Child Care Subsidy Program, and I'm going to state the conclusions and the findings of my job. But this is not the, the, the view of my um, current employer, which is the IDB, or Chapin Hall. These are my own opinions, okay? To give you a little bit of uh, historic background on the program, it was created during uh, welfare reform, actually as a component of welfare reform in 1997, in order to uh, support the welfare-to-work policy, they started issuing childcare subsidies so that low, low-income working parents could have uh, some subsidy that would allow them to place their kids in, in, in childcare while they were working. The, the program serves uh, in all the states, in the 50 states of the union. In terms of eligibility, parents who are going to use this uh, subsidy have to be employed. They also have to um, be below certain income thresholds. So there is an income eligibility. This is what is called a means-tested program. The parents have, they can decide what type of uh, childcare program they will choose. And uh, according to that, they will receive some funds. What happens is that the federal government uh, gives um, appropriations for this program. And then it's passed to the states who administer that. But the states also match funds from their own uh, funding. And uh, the program is administered at the local level for the so-called resource and referral agencies, which are independent agencies that, on behalf of the states, work on determining the eligibility of parents for the programs, administering the funds, and, 
the, the practical operations of the programs. The states can shape um, within the eligibility requirements and within certain uh, rules for allocations, how they craft the program itself. And then you have at the local level, these agencies that administer it. The other players in this uh, infrastructure, let's call it that way, are the childcare providers. So the providers receive the funding ultimately, and they do so either in grants that are given to them directly as big grants or, or contract with them, or they receive vouchers, which are for the most part the way they get funded. So the vouchers are, are basically money that is paid to the, the providers on behalf of the children whose parents have applied for these subsidies. And the providers are not only centers, you have um, home-based care, some of which is licensed, some of which is not. And then you might also pay for your own relatives to take care of children in certain states, like in the state of Illinois, that's, that's the case, and some other states is like that. In terms of operations, uh, parents have to be employed in order to apply for this subsidy. So basically what they do is that they apply through the resource and referral agencies, they send all paperwork about their employment, and then the, the, these agencies determine eligibility of the parents and then administer the payments. It varies with the number of children that you have under the subsidy, it varies with your income, and it, it has an associated co-payment. So parents have to co-pay with the subsidy to afford the childcare they are aiming for. In terms of the number of children that use this program on a monthly basis, so on average, it's about 1.3 million children. This joins uh, nearly 800,000 families across the country. 45% um, of these families are below the federal poverty line, which is uh, currently nearly $20,000. And you have 30% of them who are between 100 and 150% of the federal poverty line. About a third of the children who benefit from this program are less than three years old. You have uh, some, uh, around another 27, 28% of the children who are ages three to four. And the rest is, uh, you know, children that are older. Because the subsidy, by the way, covers from zero to 13 years old. It's not only dedicated to early childhood years, despite the fact that our research focuses on, on those years. What was it that led you to conduct this study? Um, were there specific questions that you had about these subsidies or were there gaps in prior research that you were hoping to fill? Well, you know, this might be unusual, but I want to throw a personal note on this. Um, I came to the, to the United States with a Fulbright scholarship as a, as a grad student. And during my grad studies, my first son was born. And I was a student at the University of Chicago, receiving a stipend, and, and I was married. And I clearly was a low-income student. And then I qualified for, for childcare subsidies that we really needed. And then uh, I went ahead and applied. For a very brief span of time, I was a beneficiary of the, of the CCDF program myself. So as a social researcher, it uh, raised my interest in, in the program. That combined with the fact that I took classes with Professor Jim Heckman and the late Professor Gary Becker at the University of Chicago about the importance of investing in human capital and how, how important it is to make those investments early on in the lives of children so these two things sort of really, really make me interested in the program, just to find that, you know, how little we have researched in terms of the impact that this program has on child development. So those two things really made me very, very interested in this topic. To that, I also have to say that during the summer of 2007, I was an intern at Chapin Hall at the University of Chicago, 
where I really discovered that Professor Robert Gorga had been working for almost 25 years compiling administrative records from the state of Illinois in the multiplicity of uh, social programs that the state provides. And uh, Chapin Hall was some, some kind of a stewardship of data. And uh, this was really, you know, for a researcher that had acquired tools for quantitative analysis, this was very much like a candy store ready and open to, to advanced research. So um, my dissertation actually focused on studying the short-term outcomes of the child care subsidy program on, on child development. And uh, I also studied the effects of the program on parental employment. And more recently, with my colleague Anna Johnson from Georgetown University, we applied and got a grant from the Administration for Children and Families, who gave us the opportunity to advance research following longer-term outcomes. Uh, my research had stopped at grade three, and uh, with this research, we really you know, are investigating longer-term outcomes uh, up to the eighth grade, and also adding something that hasn't been researched before, which is a, a behavioral dimension of outcomes, in this case, the school absences. So in this work, you drew from a unique database that was offering a wide range of information, not only on children, but their families and their, their public school outcomes. Could you just give us a general overview of the scope of this study and, and how you approach this work? So basically, what we did was to link children whose records we had, and then we linked those records across databases. The first database we, we looked at was the Chicago Public Schools database. So we could identify children in third grade in the school year 2008-2009. And then we retrospectively matched them to a series of databases, including the SNAP and TANF databases, and also where we could see um, participation in these two programs throughout their lives, the lives of the children, even before they were born, because we were able to match children with parents using these databases. And we could see, you know, their income levels and uh, whether they were participating in, in food stamps and welfare, TANF, before joining the subsidy and after doing so, too, uh, because we knew where these children were living. The databases provided us information with addresses. Then we could link these, these addresses to uh, geographic aggregates that are provided by the American Community Service, so that the geographies where these kids live, we could control for attributes like the median income, level of inequality, level of education of parents. We knew trajectories of participation in welfare and uh, food stamp programs before and after the birth of the children. And all that we could relate to later on outcomes in, in Chicago public schools. So we could see these kids' performance, academic performance, and also uh, their, their school absences um, during the years we, we did this. So basically up until school year 2013, 2014. So in that sense, this is pretty unique. And I was very fortunate. We were very fortunate to, to have access to this information. I think that, you know, in part, some of the contributions of this paper have to show a little bit what can be done when agencies cooperate to share data to evaluate social progress. So you and Anna Johnson uncovered some notable findings regarding the use of these subsidies, including positive future outcomes in math, reading, and school absences. Could you walk us through your findings? Sure, absolutely. So the literature on early childhood education, the one that evaluates the child care subsidy program, have found that the effects are basically either negative or negligible. There are no effects of 
children being exposed to subsidized programs with childcare development funds, there are basically no effects on test scores, either math or reading test scores. And we found the same, you know, the literature so far had done this up until the third grade. And we, we found the same. On average, there are no effects. However, when you analyze specifically the type of childcare to which the children were more exposed to, you find differences. More more specifically, if the kid went to a center-based childcare program during the, the early childhood years, then we, we find a positive association with uh, test scores. So while on average you might find no effects, we found that if the kids are exposed early on to center-based childcare programs, there are positive effects both in reading and math test scores and effects that are sustained through time. So they, they last up until the eighth grade. I think that this is something uh, new and uh, it, it talks about the, the differences in quality across the multiplicity of arrangements that parents can use to place their kids while they are working. And we're talking here, it's important to highlight that we're talking here about very, very low-income families. We're talking here about families who participated in, in food stamps or they were participating in TANF programs, so welfare or food stamps. So for those families we analyze, you find that you know their kids might get a benefit in terms of, let's say, academic performance during grades third to eight if they are exposed early on to center-based care. And, and we attribute that to higher quality. These centers are more regulated, and they have uh, certain quality standards that they have to follow. And often, and this is something that is unique about the child care subsidy program, the centers to which children go interact with the two other major programs, which are the state-funded pre-K, and the Head Start programs. So picture a provider who, uh, that is a center, no? uh, and then they provide services to low-income children who can really not afford to pay the full cost of it. So in order to, to fund those uh, services, they gather um, funds from a multiplicity of programs. So a center can receive Head Start funding directly from the federal government if they apply and receive it. They might also uh, receive some funding from the state-funded pre-K uh, programs, because some of these programs at the local level are interested in, in fostering the development of children before the kids go to school. At the same time, they can also receive CCDF funding. So associated to each one of these funding streams, there is a series of regulations. The Head Start has some uh, very, very stringent regulations about structural aspects of quality and caregiver-student ratio and the State-funded pre-K programs have a lot of regulations as well in terms of uh, physical space, how to use a space, and the CCDF has its own. No? So uh, a center base that is uh, a provider is nested within a, a set of regulations and that are kind of crafted and designed to improve the quality of care that children receive. And we think that this is what is happening. This is why we think because of these higher quality standards that, that center-based programs are subject to. That's why we think we see persistent effects on test scores. I want to highlight that, you know, we were a little bit impressed about the fact that we also saw effects in positive effects in home-based care. And this is, a, this is something uh, that is interesting because the type of home-based care that, in which we saw positive effects is home-based care that is uh, licensed by the state. In the state of Illinois has uh, regulations also for home-based care, and there is an in some, somehow uh, an incentive structure. If you get this license, you might get access to higher funds and you get some benefits. 
but you get nested within a series of regulations and you receive periodic visits and the like. So what we think is that, you know, what is happening with home-based care is that it enables for parents, you know, with very unconventional schedules of work, it enables some flexibility that somehow gets uh, passed through child development. So we think that really uh, this, is, this is an opportunity to explore avenues for research because a well-structured home-based care might serve the demands of parents who do not work from nine to five and, and at the same time serve the cognitively do not affect the children. No? So this is interesting. Now, what we think is the most remarkable finding of our research is the fact that, you know, it's been studied that behavioral effects of early childhood programs do not, you don't see, you don't, you don't see them very early on when you measure the effects of the programs. However, the resource phase later on, and um, there are several hypotheses why would this uh, be the case. So school absences in our research are conceptualized as to try to understand whether the childcare subsidy program is affecting the non-cognitive aspects of behavior in, in children. We didn't find effects in the early years of schools, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. But, you know, after seven and eighth, these effects resurface and we find that, you know, in fact, the kids who were exposed to almost any kind of childcare subsidy program during early childhood show less absenteeism than observationally equivalent kids. Uh, it's just to say that in the counterfactual state, they, they would have been more prone to be absent, but because they went to and were exposed to childcare programs funded by the CCDF, we did find that they have now less school absenteeism. It's precisely in the eighth grade when we see it, and one of the, the mechanisms you can think about that drive those effects have to do with the development of agency in children. In general, kids develop agency as they age. So by the eighth grade, they have certain leverage to act on the absences behavior. And uh, we think that, you know, by the time it is revealed, this, this agency is revealed in the eighth grade, they, they actually exercise this agency. And in fact, we find effects. So whenever the, the children are mature enough as to have some degree of control over behavioral dimensions, in this case, absences, you see effects. In our opinion, this is a remarkable finding. It's pretty interesting. And it, it talks about, you know, the kind of hidden nature of the early childhood programs. Most of the research done on these programs has focused specifically on test scores and has focused on, on cognitive development. While, you know, we are finding that the most robust effects are not there, but on this specific dimension of non-cognitive skills, which is uh, portrayed by school absenteeism. So you've already touched on this a little bit, but I'd be curious to know what you think the implications are here, particularly given the increasing focus that we're seeing from the local to the national level on early childhood development. So why do you think subsidies have this level of impact and and what should policymakers and other stakeholders take away from your work? So we we have this notion that childcare programs that are of high quality are good for kids, especially for low-income children, you know. And so I would say there are a few implications. So the first one is that we have um, underestimated the power of licensed home care. So home care provided uh, for families. More and more, the work schedules of low-income families are becoming unconventional. We we did some work with the National Survey of Early Care and Education where we really find that, you know, low-income families have unconventional schedules. 
And uh, center-based cares do not fit their needs. Uh, center-based cares has a structure, nine to five or nine to seven, or, or seven to seven schedules. But some people work on weekends and they work at night and they need some support. And licensed home-based care might be an alternative to, you know, payer, the needs of parents in terms of, uh, of work. And at the same time, if they're well-structured and uh, supervised and they have uh, some, some kind of standards, it's possible that we can exploit the, the potential of this uh, type of arrangement to, to foster child development among low-income working families. So I would also say that one of the implications is possibly the case that the, the effects that we find in center-based cares are driven by these heavy interactions that the CCDF program has at the provider level with the, these other programs like the state-funded uh, pre-K and the Head Start program. I think that it's important. These three programs are still in silos. They, they have their own objectives. The CCDF program was created, as I said at the beginning, to foster parental employment. The emphasis of the program was not necessarily on fostering child development. It's not to say that it was designed to harm children at all, yet it didn't have a strong focus on children quality. Up until 2014, when, when the provisions for funding were increased to sort of, you know, pay attention to the quality dimension. I think that, you know, it's important to work in, in trying to provide an, an homogeneous structure to the provision of childcare that allowing the differences across the province, the Head Start program has a completely different uh, meaning. It was created in, in the 50s as an anti-poverty program, you know, and, and then it's interacting today with the childcare subsidy program, which was created to foster parental employment. And a state-funded pre-K has a, a different objective, you know, in, in the core of these objectives, they're, they're seeking child development, but it's, they're also trying to facilitate the fact that when kids get to school, they are ready and, and it's, it's easier for the school system to sort of address their needs. So I think that, you know, it's important to think about the implications that we have to have a very simple and straightforward way of doing provision of childcare, which many states have been working on. Uh, the state of Illinois, to begin with, has been very active in trying to, to homogenize criteria for quality, um, set standards and the like. No? I also think, you know, the impact that we find on absences when, when, when kids don't go to school, then they don't receive the instruction that you have received. At the same time, absences, um, you know, portray behavior. And it has been found that school absences are a very, very strong predictor of later life outcomes. So kids who in eighth grade have a lot of school absenteeism are kids who you can predict will not do very well in school and will have subsequent problems. Even, you know, it's been related to earnings and, and wages later on and health outcomes. So in a way, using the school absenteeism to proxy future behavior in this research allows us to say, you know, that the, if the kids are doing better in terms of absences, the impacts that uh, will come from being exposed to early childhood programs during early childhood is, is going to be long lasting. No? There is an issue here because in, in this research, we mostly focus on the effects on children. But, you know, uh, in as much as uh, there is a claim that this program supports parental employment, the extent to which the returns to experience associated to parents participating in the labor market subsidized somehow so that they can uh, place their kids in childcare programs uh, is still out. So I think that, you know, it's still to be seen whether, uh, whether social mobility has been uh, 
promoted for the generation of parents who apply and use this program. And it seems to be the case that for the second generation, it it might be very effective. But, you know, we also want to have a a program that sort of impacts both generations. This is what is called a two-generation program. You have the first generation, the parents who are using the, the subsidy to go to work, and then you want to try to promote upward social mobility through, through employment. It's not clear that this is happening. Despite the fact that they are working, it's not clear that there is upward social mobility there. While on the other end, you know, for the second generation, you are having positive effects on, on somehow cognition and also, you know, behavior that is guaranteeing that the kids might eventually move out of the poverty trap. So we want to balance these two objectives so as to, you know, guarantee that, um, that the program is benefiting the two generations. And uh, my final question is, um, do you think there are opportunities here for future research, either for you or for others who are, who are working in this area? Absolutely, yes. This is, this is actually an area of research that is in its uh, infancy, I would say. We know very little about the mechanisms that drive these uh, associations that we found in this study. I think that studying um, a broader set of outcomes would be of interest. The CCF program is relatively new compared to state-funded pre-K and Head Start. It has 22 years. It was created in 1997. So, But uh, as these kids get older and older, we can do more to try to understand how the program through time has been affecting them. You know, So the, the kids who were, let's say, three years old in 1997, today are uh, entering the labor market and kind of finishing their basic educational trajectories, you know, if they, if they went to college and all that. So they are starting to mature into the labor market. So labor market outcomes, health outcomes, uh, incarceration. So there is a multiplicity of, uh, of dimensions of behavior and, and results in life that can already be, be investigated. Of course, this requires an, an enormous um, degree of collaboration across agencies in different states in order for researchers to be able to exploit this these dimensions, no? I also think that there is, um, as I said a little bit, uh, there is a space for looking at whether there are differential effects on on whether the the kids enter the program at very early ages as opposed to later ages. And by that, I mean, you know, before the age of three, kids are still working in developing language. And there is some hypothesis according to which being exposed to these programs early on might, might be more beneficial than later on. We don't, we don't know much about that. I mean, we can extrapolate about other programs, but the, 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 the interesting aspect of the CCDF is that it's unique on the fact that parents have to be employed because, you know, you have to make a joint choice of going to work, choosing to use the childcare subsidy program within the childcare subsidy program, deciding what type of childcare you will use. It's not the same thing as saying, okay, I'm gonna use, I'm gonna enroll my kid in this Head Start program, which is you know within my neighborhood. It's it's a different process, and then modeling it and understanding the implications of those those choices uh, requires dedicated work. So I see a lot of you know avenues for future research in trying to understand um, multiplicity of dimensions along this line. Of course, we, as researchers, we hope that you know states become more and more interested in providing evidence of the impacts of their programs and, and at the same time, you know, open windows of opportunity that by taking care of the privacy of the families and, and being very serious about the identifying information of people, 
allow uh, researchers to go about investigating how is the CCF program affecting the lives of children and families. Well, Vladimir, this is incredible work, and I would encourage all of our listeners to go and read the full article. Again, it's titled Childcare Subsidy Use and Children's Outcomes in Middle School, and it was recently published in AERA Open. Vladimir Zanoni, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this week's Research Minutes, presented by the CPRI Knowledge Hub. For more episodes of this podcast, or to subscribe to this series, visit us at researchminutes.org. To share thoughts on today's episode, or to suggest future topics, follow us on Twitter at CPRI Hub. That's C-P-R-E Hub.